Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name is Emily Ballesteros, and I'm the author of The Cure for Burnout. When I saw the title of Emily Ballesteros' new book, I jumped at the opportunity to speak with her. I don't read many self-help books, but this one is titled The Cure for Burnout, How to Find Balance and Reclaim Your Life. When it comes to balancing the personal with the professional, the phenomenon of burnout is increasingly common in today's society, and it's something I'm intimately familiar with. So I read the book and then asked Emily Ballesteros about her practical tips for diving into different habits, managing time, and much more. From KMEW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Marginalia. I'm Beth Golay, and here's my conversation with Emily Ballesteros. My listeners who have been with Marginalia for a while know that most of my conversations with authors are about fiction titles. This is a rare occurrence, but I wanted to jump into this book from the moment I saw the title, The Cure for Burnout. It felt like it was directed at me, and with each sentence I read or listened to, because I did both, you know, that belief was reinforced. But this probably is more of an indication that burnout is prevalent in our society, and it's not just about me. So if I could relate to each and every sentence, other readers probably can too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, this book was born from one-on-one coaching and then group coaching and then training corporations. So a lot of the language used is just what the average person is feeling. It's not what I thought people were feeling. It's I wake up from nightmares about work. I have to go cry in conference rooms. It's things that people tell me that they have also experienced. So how do you tackle burnout? And I'm not talking about the reader who is burned out here. I'm talking about you, an industrial organizational psychologist. How do you begin to write a book about this? I mean, it feels like it would be like eating a bran muffin, and the more you chew, the bigger it gets. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it was born from initial frustration that there was no simple path forward when you're experiencing burnout. I couldn't find tools that were relevant to the modern kind of workscape. And so most people create a solution for a problem they have experienced. And so at a a certain point in my career, for about two years at that point, I had been working full-time in corporate training and development. I was getting my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology, taking full-time in-person night classes. And then I was commuting for two to three hours a day on public transit. So I was experiencing this burnout by volume and I could not find a solution anywhere. And then that translated into I'm going to just use my professional experience to put together a methodology of things that people have heard of, but that we're not using a combination. And that's how kind of the five pillars of burnout management that I always look at when I'm experiencing burnout and that other people look at um, just to kind of see where, where their burnout might be coming from, because it is too much to break down if you don't know what you're looking at. And so those five areas that you can look at to consider when you're burned out are mindset, time management, stress management, boundaries, and personal care. And usually if you look at those, people know what areas they might need to strengthen to alleviate their burnout. And just starting with those five makes it a lot easier than knowing there's a hundred different solutions out there. So when we talk about these five, I mean, how are people able to recognize burnout in themselves from these five pillars? Recognizing burnout in yourself 
there are some universal experiences when it comes to burnout, that mental, emotional, physical exhaustion. It's just kind of prolonged exhaustion over time. Um, and so you can recognize that in yourself. Um, but for these five areas specifically, most people, because a lot of times people who burn themselves out are high achievers or people pleasers, those are like two of the major groups of people who burn themselves out. They hear those five things and they'll know, okay, it's it's boundaries for me. I've actually been told my entire life that I struggle with boundaries. And I know that that is the weak link that ends up letting in too much work or ends up letting in too many people who end up burning me out. Um, for other people, it's personal care. Personal care is the bottom of their priority list. They haven't taken care of themselves if there's another need somewhere else a day in their life. Um, so they know that's the weak link. For other people, it's mindset. Like they just know off the back, the way that I talk to myself, the way that I manage myself would burn me out anywhere. And like if people heard how I coach myself, how I talk to myself, they would not be surprised that I'm burned out. So for a lot of people, they can look at those areas and they can just kind of reflect and recognize what areas they might be struggling with. So what are some of the lies we tell ourselves when it comes to burnout? That it's worth it, that it's means to an end. Sometimes it's a busy season and there's a prize at the end of it and it's worth it. And for some people, they love working hard and they take a lot of pride in it and they love their work. And so it's worth it to them. But for the average person, especially the average high achiever, they find themselves in repeated cycles of burnout throughout their life. It's just a matter of the next time an opportunity comes around, they'll put it right back on their plate and burn themselves out again. Um, so it's really this, this pattern that you recognize once you see it. And that is the trouble with burnout is it's not one and done. It's you have to change the way that you are so that you don't keep ending up in this pattern. So what if you recognize burnout, but do not do anything to alleviate it? What are the risk factors? Yeah. I mean, you're putting your body under stress for an extended period of time, and that is just going to release additional cortisol, adrenaline, sugars. Your body is kind of always in fight or flight. And over time, that just causes our system to crash. A lot of times your immune system is compromised. You're not sleeping as well. You uh, exhibit changes and just your overall demeanor. Maybe you're really extroverted usually and you start to socially isolate. You can't get back to texts and calls and FaceTimes and DMs anymore because you're just overwhelmed. Your baseline is pretty overwhelmed and you can't take on little things that you might have been able to previously. Some people start online shopping more often because they're looking for dopamine. They start ordering food more often because it's easier and they're tired. Um, they let things pile up around the house that they're usually able to be on top of. We know how we behave and what our life looks like when we have an abundance of resources and we have tons of energy and our life isn't that busy. And then we know what our life looks like when we cannot take on one more thing. And when somebody calls to ask for something, you feel resentment because you are so tired and you do not have that thing to give. And if you're really aware of what those two things look like, then it gets easier to notice. I'm doing the things that I do when I'm burned out. For me, it's like I'm on my third day of eating Top Ramen. So something's probably not right. So you know what those things are that tell you you're starting to slip into burnout. Okay, so let's get back to this book. You write that readers shouldn't be precious about this book. Talk to me about that. How do you want readers to tackle this book that you've written? I believe in making it easier to go back into a book and find the things that I want to find because that's most often the most useful books to me are ones where I've highlighted things or I've put sticky notes in it or I've dog-eared different things um, or I've just kind of like marked things and taken pictures of them, put them places 
as an avid reader, I know what it feels like to buy a $30 book and be like, I'm not touching this. I'm actually going to frame it and I'm going to put it over there and I don't want a speck of dust to touch it. But then I don't touch it again. And then I miss out on going back and revisiting the things that I love. So for this book, I know the feeling, trust me. But I also think that you get the most out of it when you emphasize the things that you know you want to go back to. Uh, and then I try to visually do that as well with a lot of bullet points and graphics and bolded lines and section breaks because I'm just not strong enough to read like essay style work myself. So I wanted to make it easy to digest as well. There were some sections I was able to integrate immediately, even if, you know, we have had a preview copy. So I read it on an iPad, which I'm not able to keep on my shelf. I have to go buy the book. And then I also yeah. listened to a preview copy on a walk. And I, I would think, how am I going to implement this? But they were strong enough suggestions that I went home immediately and would try to do them. Like I, I was able to batch some tasks or, you know, if I could figure out how Outlook works, I would implement like automated emails <laughs> or, or focused sections of time. And yeah. I hesitate to mention strategies because I'm not sure if they should be looked at individually without the context of the entire book. But are there any like easy no brainer steps you would like to recommend? I feel like it depends what the person is struggling with, because then I feel like you have kind of slightly different starting points, um, depending on where what your major problems are. I would say that there's a kind of roadmap section of the book where you go step by step and just make sure you're implementing different things from each section. But the first step in that, if you're just starting from ground zero without having looked at the material in the book, the recommendation um, to just increase awareness of what your actual situation is, is to track how you're spending the hours of your day for at least two days, if not three days, just to kind of get your data down. And this can be done very uh, elementary. You can just keep like do this on with a pen on a piece of paper, or you can do it in your phone, or you can look at your existing calendar. But this is uh, the best way to get an accurate picture of how you are currently spending your time, where you're losing time, what's causing you the most stress. After those two, three days, look at what you've tracked and notice any patterns, notice any lies you might be telling yourself. If you tell yourself, I work from nine to five, but you actually start closer to 826 and you finish closer to 530, um, that's something to be aware of. If you tell yourself you're getting seven hours of sleep, but when you track it, you're actually getting closer to six, um, find spots where you could make small improvements and get some of your time or energy back. Um, and that's kind of a, a starting point if you're not sure where to start and you're not sure what your life really looks like uh, when you're looking at the data and when you're observing your own patterns. My poor daughters, they, they've they been <laughs> inundated with little nuggets for me as I would glean them from your book. Like being prepared okay. isn't half the battle, it is the battle. So can little nuggets like this here and there help? Am I being helpful to my daughters or does it take a whole pile of these nuggets to, to make some progress? Repetition. I think you pick the nuggets that you think would help the most and you just keep saying them until they say them to themselves accidentally at first and then they, they'll see the wisdom in them eventually. I know I repeat things that, you know, were repeated to me by my parents and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm turning into them like it's happening finally, but uh, it does help over time repetition. Can you talk about the change formula? Because that does seem like an executable task. Absolutely. So the change formula, I am a professional development junkie. Uh, my parents 
listened to so much Tony Robbins when I was growing up and it's it's just kind of the way of the household like if you are going through something hard you're basically going to go to a small seminar with them um and so the change formula is kind of the distilled version of how you can make changes in your life and and then make them stick it's three pieces it's the actual change you want to make what action is required in order to make that change and then how you're going to reinforce that change of action. So for example, maybe the change that you want to make, and I'm just going to pull this one from the book, but maybe the change you want to make is you want to drink more water. That's a goal that I feel like most people have had throughout their lifetime, but they leave it at that. After you know what the change you want to make, then you move into the action required phase. And this is where you get really explicit about what's required of you to do this. You probably need to just remember to fill up your water cup and drink your water throughout the day. Like those are the actual actions that are required to meet this change. And then to reinforce this, this is where you might buy yourself a 32 ounce cup or whatever cup you prefer. Set reminders that pop up for you in order to remember to drink this water and then set another reminder to refill your cup midday. Um, And so it breaks down this vague idea into, in order to put this idea into action. What do I actually need to do? And that's a very simple example, but it works for practically anything. Anytime you want to reinforce a behavior, you kind of have to treat yourself like a lab rat and consider what are the threats to this happening and what do I actually need to do in order to make it happen and then break it down like that. I think one of my favorite takeaways from the book was this, no is a complete sentence. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, And to give credit where credit's due, someone said that somewhere. I have seen it, and so I brought it into the book, but someone else said that originally. Um, so no is a complete sentence is um, something that's talked about with boundaries a lot because everybody feels like when I, in order to set a boundary, I need a good enough reason. I have to have the perfect excuse or the perfect thing to say in order to not agree to meet up with friends or to not take on this project at work or to not go to coffee with this stranger. And when you're more comfortable saying no, your life becomes yours again. If you're not comfortable saying no, your life does not belong to you. It belongs to whoever's asking for things from you. And it's a practice that will give you so much freedom, even though it feels like no is a rejection and it's closing me down, it's actually freeing you up and it's allowing you to be more of yourself instead of just a basket of resources. You wrote about being from a family of immigrants, and I mm-hmm. often think that certain work ethic markers are a bit generational. I've looked at my own current learned attitudes and, and tried to look at things from a different you know, life work balance perspective. What can the nose to the grindstone generation learn from younger generations who who really are trying to embrace this work-life balance? I think that just seeing it modeled and seeing that people can still be happy and feel that they're still worthy is valuable just across generations because hard work translated to being virtuous And it also, and this is a whole big other conversation, but hard work yielded more results previously. Um, Nowadays, we're seeing a lot of frustration because hard work is not yielding the same results, the same buying power, the same financial stability, all of that. But by a lot of what older generations struggle with is hard work was very, very virtuous. And so it feels like if these people don't want to work, 
like they're lacking in virtue or they, they just don't want to work hard. There, there's something wrong or there's something missing. But a lot, for a lot of people, that's not the case. They want to work hard enough, but they don't want to live a work-centered life. And for a lot of people who lived work-centered lives, it's frustrating and it's confusing that people wouldn't want to do that. And then it causes them to kind of reflect on what do I want to include in my life then? And why am I kind of starting this so late? Um, and it's not really fair. It, it gets back to that kind of like, it's not fair conversation. So to see it modeled and then to get to enjoy it as well, kind of deflate some of that sense of this isn't fair or what the hell are people doing by not living work-centered lives. This isn't a book that you can read once and boom, you're cured. I mean, there were lots of suggestions that I, I read about that I wanted to do and I haven't been able to do the exercises like the one you mentioned with the red and green highlights on my calendar and, and many others. So when we're talking about working through burnout, and I know this is going to be a, a wide range, but what are some of the various timelines for treatment? I mean, how long is this going to take me? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, I It's like those uh, posts about how do I rest as productively as possible kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, busy people don't want long launch pads. It depends on the situation that people are in and how quickly you can alleviate the stressors. For some people, their situation is not necessarily super stressful. They run themselves and they manage themselves in a way that creates a lot of the stress. And so if they can change how they're managing themselves and how they're managing their life and how they're interacting with their work, they can fix their problem relatively quickly for as long as it takes to kind of make those shifts in themselves and in their life. For other people, if you're working at a company that is just objectively toxic where everybody there is burned out and that's the main source of burnout, it's going to take as long as it takes for you to transfer to a different department or to transfer out of the company to somewhere else, to transition to a transition job, just to get out of there and figure out what it is you want to do next. So that usually is kind of plan dependent. And for people who just find themselves in a position in life where maybe they're a caretaker or they um, are a student in school. And so it's years ahead of them that they have before they feel like, you know, if they're a medical student before the stress that they have in front of them uh, is alleviated, then it's a matter of how well you can take care of yourself and move through the situation. There's not really a timeline necessarily in those situations. It's just how good you can take care of yourself. There is also um, a conversation about if you are burned out, it can take up to like, two years to recover fully or whatever that might be. Depending on how long your body is in this kind of high stress mode, it's going to take a parallel amount of time to fully recover from it. If you have not been sleeping well for a year and you've been running your immune system dry for a year, it's going to take a dependent amount of time, depending on how much you really let yourself slow down and recover to get back to normal and to reassure your body, we're not in high stress every day anymore. We can just get back to our normal, but you're kind of reteaching yourself what normal is. Um, and that takes a different amount of time depending on the person and if they're really letting themselves rest or if they just jump into a different high stress situation. We have talked about a lot. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked? <laughs> um. Do you have experience with burnout, that uh, a personal burnout uh, kind of period of your life and what that looked like? Um, it's still happening. It's, it's, it's <laughs> oh, been my no. whole life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of no. the five areas of burnout, which one of them speaks to you? 
These days, um, it's the personal care. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the personal care pyramid? I have to find it. Sorry. It starts with the non-negotiables and <laughs> yeah. then it's like the maintenance, rest, refill, and then lifestyle design. But that's kind of for, for fun if you've done the rest. And I haven't I haven't gone through to like establish my non-negotiables yet. I mean, that's what that's what I'm talking about. It's going to take some time to go through and implement the steps. But like I said, I read every single word and I wanted to do every single exercise. So I will get there. I um, love personal professional development so much and uh, was kind of trying to find a good place in the middle of, I love these personal development exercises. I think figuring out what your non-negotiables is, is such a good, not just tool to have and exercise to do with yourself, but fun discussion to have with friends or family. And then it just kind of spreads from there. And it's also technical enough that anybody who's very right-brained analytical is also willing to use the tools because I have also read a lot of professional development books where the tools are a little bit softer and so they lose some of the right brain people and I was really trying to walk <laughs> that line. <laughs> well, the book is The Cure for Burnout, How to Find Balance and Reclaim Your Life. Emily Ballesteros, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Emily Ballesteros, author of the book, the Cure for Burnout, How to Find Balance and Reclaim Your Life, which was published by The Dial Press. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producers are Haley Krausen and Katie Lanning, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.